Welcome to Elan Restoration Fellowship, where Jesus is King, Hamelech, Lord, Hashem, and Messiah, Mashiach. And now, Pastor and Rabbi, Billy Elias. Hello, everyone. I um, appreciate you tuning in today. Um, we're going to continue with the mystery of Passover and and. and this one that we're going to be talking about today is the four cups of wine. And, uh, you know, as I was studying this morning and I was looking at um, Messiah, Mashiach, you know, Yeshua, Jesus in Gethsemane, um, I, I realized something. And it was, it was for me, it's just so exciting when the Lord shows me certain things about, you know, like it is, it's the mystery behind the Messiah and, and his last Seder, which is known more appropriate, you know, more, not appropriate, but more commonly as the Last Supper. Um, and, you know, what happened during that Last Supper and, um, you know, the drinking of the cups. Now, there will be a a, a post going up soon. Um, there will be an episode devoted to just the Kiddush cup and the Pesach, um, Kiddush cup, meaning the cup that the you drink the wine from, and the Passover, and, and we're definitely going to have that, um, and that'll be a great, you know, a supplement to this what we're talking about here. But today, I want to just talk about the mysteries behind not only the cups, but the mystery behind the cups and Gethsemane. Because I, I just I just think it's just rather amazing how perfect, how perfectly planned that Gethsemane experience was. And oh my goodness, so many people make so many mistakes in Christendom when it comes to what was going on with Jesus at, at, and Gethsemane and even in, you know, his final moments on the cross on Moriah. Mm. So, sorry, I had to take a little cup of joe. Sorry, I had to take my cup of joe. And I have my Boston Red Sox mug. So, yeah, it's that time of year, right? Okay, so, during the Seder we drink from, there are four cups, okay? And and um, we're going to talk about those four cups and um, what they represent, Okay, and, and we're going to go through the Hebraic mindset. Now, I want to paint a picture and say we're going to do we're going to go through th- this moment at the time when Jesus sings a hymn. And it says he sings a hymn and as was his custom, he goes to the Mount of Olives. I'm paraphrasing. I'm combining Matthew and Luke. Okay, so we're going to set that as the starting point. Okay. So there are four cups of wine that you would drink at the Seder. And, and they're, they're based on Exodus chapter 6, um, verses 6 and 7, right? So the first cup is called the Mitzrayim, which is, um, it means, um, I'm sorry, it means um, that was the name for uh, Egypt, okay? But it's the cup of sanctification, Okay, and and in Exodus chapter six, verse six and seven, 
It says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. So that's why it's called the cup of Mitzrayim, the sanctification, because he's bringing them out of Egypt. All right. The second cup is the Siblot, which is the recitation of the plagues. And during that cup, it, it, it says, I will rescue you from slavery also in verse 6. So the in verse 6, the first cup is, I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. The second cup that is drank during the Seder is, I will rescue you from their bondage. Okay, this that, that's important. Uh, this is all a, a teaching for another time. But um, the third cup that we drink during the Seder is the uh, Netua Bizro. Um, and that is, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. Now, this is the cup of redemption. It is also found in verse 6, where it says, I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments, which is why we recite the plagues during that time. Um, and then finally, the fourth cup that we would drink is called Liliam, which is praise and intimacy. And that is found at the beginning of verse 7. And he says, Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. So you have the four cups of wine laid out in the Seder um, in Exodus or Shemot, chapter 6, verse 6 through 7. I will bring you out of Egypt. I will rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and I will take you to be my people or I will take you to me for a people, okay? So what's interesting as we go forward, okay, again, setting the tempo, the Messiah now having concluded the Seder, we, we know that he concluded the Seder, the Seder, um, because he sang a hymn, and it says, uh, and then they left, and on their way to Gethsemane, um, which in Hebrew means olive press. It is a place of pressing, okay? So on his way, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 30, I believe it is, says, and after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So we know the Seder has concluded. Now here's what's interesting, and I want you to follow with me for a minute. There are four cups, remember, four cups that are consumed or drank, drunk during the Seder, right? The cup of Mitzrayim, sanctification, the cup of Siblot, recitation of the plagues, the cup of Netua, Bitzro, the redemption, and of course the cup of Lilayam, the praise and intimacy. Now, follow me here. Messiah comes to Gethsemane. His spirit is grieved unto death. And then scripture tells us something interesting. In verse 39, it says, And he went a little beyond them, his disciples, his Talmudim, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Now, one of the things that we have to understand about what's happening here um, 
in Gethsemane is it's been taught once or twice that he was talking about a cup of suffering. No such cup exists. Okay, so I want you guys to please understand that with me. Um, what he is doing at this moment is he is taking counsel from his father about his upcoming proposal, about his upcoming marriage. So in the Jewish community, um, it's called a ketubah. It's a wedding contract that is signed. And the father and the son take great care to put in that contract what the son is going to do for his bride. And the father oversees him making that contract. And when the contract is presented to the bride, she has a choice. She reads it. Um, her and her father respond in kind. This is what me as, you know, at, this is what the bride as a wife is going to do for her husband. And then when it's signed, what happens is the bride turns her back and she drinks from a cup. Okay, so as the ceremony moves, what we have is that the, the ketubah, the wedding contract is signed, or is, is, is agreed upon and signed, and then the groom drinks from the cup, passes the cup to his bride, she drinks from the cup, and the two are married. Even though they are not consummated, the two are now considered married, which is the story between Joseph and Mary. The two were married because they had signed the ketubah. He had drank from his cup, passed it to Mary and Miriam, and she drank from the cup as well. Fast forward to Messiah in Gethsemane. What we have actually going on here is God himself saying, this is the price you're going to pay for this bride. These are the things that you're going to do for this bride. You see, he is, is going and he drinks from that, what is called the Kiddush cup, the cup of holiness. The same cup, cup that they drink from during the Seder, the same cup they drink from on Shabbat, the same cup that they drink from during the the, um, the the first phase of the wedding, the Jewish wedding and, and, and the, the marriage. So what we have here in verse 39 is, and he went a little beyond them and he fell on his face and prayed saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me, be it not as my will, but as you will. Number one, as the first, remember, he withdraws and God is offering a cup. You know what cup he's saying? This is going to be the cup of sanctification that you will accomplish for your bride because it says, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. You see, that first cup, the cup of sanctification, Mitzrayim, which was now being offered to the Messiah, is the cup of bringing them out of bondage. It's the cup of affliction. It's the cup of the broken body and the broken um, spirit and soul of labor. Not only the physical bondage, but the spiritual bondage 
Egypt put on the Israelites and you fast forward to when Jesus is being given this, God says to them, so the first thing you're going to need to do is deliver them from their bondage. And there's only one way to do it. You need to suffer what they suffer. But not only physically, but spiritually. So that's the first cup, the cup of sanctification. Then we know, and if you know the story, of course, you know that, okay, he came back, he fell them sleeping. I'm not concerned with that right now. And then in verse 42, scripture says, he went away a second time and he prayed saying, my father, if this cup cannot pass away unless I drink from it, your will be done. This is the second cup that is drunk from in the Seder. Cup number two, the Siblot, which is the recitation of the plagues. So understand, you know that 10 plagues, or what the, in, in Hebrew it's really called the lash, these plagues are sent on Egypt as a consequence for all the things that they had done to Egypt, right? And it says... Um, and the second cup is the cup of, you know, the recitation. I will rescue you from your slavery. So what's happening here from their bondage? Well, they were enslaved. They were beaten. They were, they were, they were, were um, heavy laden. You know the story about what happened in Egypt. But what's interesting here is he says, I'm going to break you. I will rescue you from slavery. Fast forward to the Messiah, what was happening? Not only was Israel a conquered nation physically, they were a conquered nation spiritually. They were enslaved to all the idols of the Roman Empire. A lot of the idols who followed them from Egypt, even at that time, there were Jews in Israel that were still worshiping um, the idols of Egypt. If you if you read in the book of Ezekiel, you'll notice that that when when Ezekiel has the vision and he sees into the temple and he's, they see all kinds of matters of beasts and things. Well, these are the idols of Egypt that the people will always seem to revert back to. So in this cup number two, God is saying, well, not only do you have to suffer what they suffered on your body, but in order for you to defeat their slavery, you need to understand you have to become a slave yourself. You see, when you think about what is the Korban um, Pesach, the offer, the, the Pesach offering, or the lamb, the Pesach lamb, the Passover lamb, what does that lamb really do? Think about it. The lamb is enslaved. It's brought to Jerusalem and then it's killed it doesn't have any choices so what God is saying here is the first time you walked away I offered you I said you have to be you have to deliver them that's the first cup sanctification you have to be able to sanctify them number two bang you have to be able to rescue them you have to rescue them from slavery Then we bring to number three. Man, this stuff is amazing. Number three, the Netua Bizro is the cup of redemption. Think about it. The cup of redemption. And in verse, uh, uh, still at the tail end of verse six, it says what? And I will also redeem you 
with an outstretched arm and with what? Great judgments. Holy smokes. So what we have now is God is coming to them and say, saying to them now, Jesus, you need to redeem your people with an outstretched arm and a great judgment. The outstretched arm, in my opinion, are the arms that were stretched from left to right over his head on the cross. The outstretched arm of of the Messiah, of God, represents eternity. It's never ending. Once it leaves, there's no ending point because it just becomes a a universal thing. So when we say in in the prayers, we're saying you are the king of the universe. You are the king of forever. You are the king of everlasting things. So what God is saying to Jesus at this point is now you're going to redeem them with an everlasting life. But in order to do that, there's going to be judgment. There has to be great judgment. And who's the first one that's going to be judged? Israel. So here we have the Messiah who's in love with, with, with Israel, who wants to marry Israel. And God says, listen, she's a harlot. She's a whore. She has turned away in every way, shape, and form. This is the story of Hosea and Gomer coming to life. And he's saying, now, my son, you want her. You need to win her. And the only way you're going to win her and the only way to redeem her so she can be your bride is you need to be sanctified on her behalf. Sanctify them, I should say. Sanctify them. You need to get them, free them from slavery. And you have to redeem them with an outstretched arm and be willing to to judge them so that if they turn away from you, they cannot see the kingdom of heaven. I'm quite certain Paul writes later on that God's will is that all be saved. And understand, human words don't give that justice because it is a heartbreaking, heart-wrenching moment that we see here in Gethsemane. That the Messiah being charged with these these elements in his ketubah, in the engagement, in the wedding, the matrimony that's about to take place. He's being charged with these things and he knows that some will turn away and not want him. Now, we know that the Messiah, like we see here three times, and after this, of course, he comes back and he says, you're still sleeping, but get ready because it's my time. And we know he comes and he gets arrested. He gets arrested after the cup of redemption. Because at that point, he's accepted the contract, the wedding contract. And he said, okay, Lord, Father, and if you remember... The ministers, the angels come to minister to him. And at that moment, he's now being strengthened because he's accepted his role in the ketubah. He signed it at that moment. And what he does, as soon as he's arrested and they start beating on him, is you know what he does. This is what the groom does. The groom turns his back. Not in an abandonment, 
because the bride needs to drink from the cup, not under compulsion. She needs to drink from the cup willingly. So at this point, the Messiah is going to the cross to redeem his bride and to fulfill his part in the ketubah. Now you're probably wondering, well, where's the fourth cup? Because there is a fourth cup. And we've been talking about that, but on Gethsemane, he only goes three times, so he only partakes of, he's only given those three cups from the Passover Seder. So what am I missing, right? Okay. There is a fourth cup, and it's called the Lilium, the praise and intimacy. Uh, this is like, I, I, yeah, this is just where it gets utterly amazing. So we're still in Matthew chapter um, <clears throat> 26. And I want to you to go to, let's read 45 to 40 through 46. 45 and 46. Now the sixth hour darkness fell upon all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which we know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Okay. Now, I'm going to stop there for a second and say God did not turn his back on the Messiah. God, Jesus at that moment did not become sin because if he became sin, he would have been a, um, um, a, um, a sinful sacrifice. He, can't, he still had to remain completely blemishless. No. What he is saying, he's reciting Psalm 22 in Aramaic for the people because he was speaking to the people in their language. The reason he was doing that is because the rabbis at that point, the priests, the Sadducees, they had already heard him in Hebrew. They've already, don't forget, the Sanhedrin was involved. Caiaphas was involved. Herod to Caiaphas, Caiaphas to Herod, Herod to Caiaphas. The sand, everybody's voting, casting votes. They all heard what he said in Hebrew, so now he's done with them. He knows, they know, they know he's the king. He knows, they know he's the king. The people who really aren't sure are the ones that are sitting there. So he's speaking to them in the street language. And what he's doing is he's reciting Psalm 22. And he's actually living out in front of everybody Psalm 22. He's fulfilling Psalm 22 in the presence of all those who can see and can hear. Now, one of the things we also need to know is early on, he is offered a cup with a, like a vinegar and a poison, right? To, to kind of help him ease into his death, but he refuses it because he needed for three straight hours in darkness. He needed to show them who he was. Okay, in three hours of darkness, he needed to show them who he was because one of the plagues that was delivered on Israel was what? The plague of darkness, right? The Koshashach. Because that was an attack on the heavens, on the skies, on all the Egyptian gods of the heavens and the skies. So in that darkness for three hours, as you recite Psalm 22, he's living out literally living out the plagues and reciting and becoming the real Psalm 22 Messiah that the people needed to see. And then something interesting happened. He cries out. 
And some of those who were standing there when they heard it said, this man is calling for Elijah. And immediately one ran and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and he put it on a reed and gave him a drink. He filled it with sour wine, put it on a reed and gave him a drink. In verse 50, it says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and said, What? Into your hands, I, it is finished. And into your hands, I commit my spirit. What did he do at that point? He drank from the cup of praise and intimacy because it was finished. It is Finished. And when we go back to Exodus chapter 6, verse 7, how does it read? Then I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the labors of the Egyptians. Those three hours were designed to tell all Israel that Jesus, the Messiah, was God himself that was taking them out from under the labors of the Egyptians, and then he would seal it because he was taking his people with a cup of praise and intimacy because at that moment when he cried out, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, exactly what he said to the 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 the, the zealot on his right or on his left, whichever one it was, today I tell you, you will be with me in paradise. And at that moment, what happened? The earthquake happened. The veil of the temple split open. The dead rose from the grave. Why? Because now they had a place with their Messiah to go in heaven. Because they were delivered. They were redeemed. Slavery and the bonds of death had been broken. Because Messiah signed the ketubah. But at that, that moment, that whoever believed in him shall not die nor perish, but will have everlasting life. And at that moment, it became utterly clear when Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. What does that mean? That is a direct, that scripture is a direct quote from what happens at the ketubah at the wedding table when they come to sign that contract. This is the mysteries of Passover. The mystery of those four cups. The mystery of Gethsemane. This is absolutely amazing. This is God in all his glory. This is the Messiah in all of his glory. As always, I wish you peace, harmony, and love. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom peace in the precious name of our glorious Passover lamb, Jesus the Messiah, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Pastor Billy Elias. 
Pastor Billy is the founder and pastor of Elon Restoration Fellowship in Toms River, New Jersey. Join us again as Pastor Billy bridges the gap between the Old and New Covenants. And as always, may the Lord bless you with peace. Yeah,